Turning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show Hosted by a guy called Jumpy Ellie Tuning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show At JumpyEllie.com Morning everybody, this is another edition of the Passball Show Brought to you by JumpyEllie.com By St. Alex's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. We're going to do a little bit of a Super Bowl preview. Um, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, you could always uh, contribute to the thread here on YouTube. You could also listen to the program on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. I'm going to make a little comparison. In a little bit of the Utah Jazz of this year and say how they may be the Houston Rockets of years past. Like I said, we'll have to get into the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay, Kansas City. Uh, an exciting game tomorrow as everybody's getting ready for their, I guess, their reduced amount of festivities. Probably not as many people as you want to have, but you're going to have a good time anyway. Uh, unfortunately, if you're a fan of the New York Mets, you're being led by a, uh, I guess, a wannabe shepherd. And basically, there's a narrative out there that says, this is how you have to feel if you're a Mets fan. And think about it. If you're a baseball fan and you could root for any team that you want, you, you could have any different amount of perspectives if you have when it comes to a certain team. But... The Mets fan narrative is being, um, I guess, grabbed by a group of fans that are basically trying to tell the other fans exactly how to feel. These same fans are telling you that Francisco Lindor, a great shortstop, one of the best players in a game of baseball, is single-handedly going to be the reason why the Mets are going to be the team to beat in a National League East. These same people are going to tell you that the Mets don't need to do anything else. Uh, They're going to tell you that Trevor Bauer you know, from a public relations and a political correctness standpoint is not a fit for the Mets. And you don't want somebody that doesn't want to be here anyway. They're going to tell you that you don't need George Springer. They're going to tell you that, you know what, the Mets could sit on their hands and not do anything the rest of the offseason. And they're going to be a favorite in the National League East. Have you watched the Washington Nationals? I know Josh Bell's coming off of a down year, but he was one of the top first basemen in the National League over the last couple years before that. He comes to the Nationals. They had Kyle Schwarber. They had John Lester. They got a solid bullpen. You go to the Phillies. The Phillies added Archie Bradley. Yes, they have some work to do, but they brought back JT Realmuto, who's probably the biggest piece you thought they were going to lose in free agency this past offseason. The same with the Braves and Marcelo Zuna. The thought was Ozuna was going to end up going to an American League team, the DH. He wasn't coming back to the Braves. What were the Braves going to be able to do to fill that one little spot in their lineup? Obviously a major spot. You know, the Josh Donaldson from two years ago, Ozuna from last year. That's a, a major void in the Atlanta Braves lineup. And you know what? Marzell Ozuna is coming back. So you look at the Mets and you try to analyze this offseason. Now, if you are allowed to, you may not be allowed to because there's a there's a, a group of fans out there that are basically subtweeting each other, trying to throw the same agenda down every fan's throat. And it starts with the love of James McCann. And James McCann may turn out to be a very good player. He may be an upgrade to Wilson Ramos. I think defensively he may be. 
Is he going to put up the offensive numbers of Wilson Ramos in his prime? The answer is probably no. Is he a little bit overrated? Yes, he is, because he represents the new Mets under Steve Cohen as the owner and Brody Van Wagenen gone. And part of the reason why there's this almost cult following of this you know, basically back up the same points. You're only allowed to believe this if you're a Mets fan because there's a certain amount of disdain and hate that exists for former general manager Brody Van Wagenen. Now, he made a bad trade. The Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz trade for Jared Kalanick and Justin Dunn. There's no way you could put a spin on it and say that it has been a productive trade for the New York Mets. That being said, the Marcus Stroman trade for Simeon Woods and Anthony Kay could very well turn out to be a good trade. The Mets got another year out of Stroman, which he'll he'll play this year under the qualifying offer. And he provides a stable force in the Mets rotation. If the Mets have some success this year with Stroman as a lead member of the Mets rotation, then I think you could say that that was a good trade. He was worth Simeon Woods. And, you know, Simeon Woods may be a very good prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays system, may come up to the major leagues, may flourish himself. But I'm not destroying that trade just because Brody Van Wagen had made it. Now, the Cano trade's different. You do look at Robinson Cano last year, and obviously after some pressure from fans and people that were killing the trade, he had a very good 60-game stretch, which obviously he didn't play in all 60 games but looked like vintage Robinson Cano. And you find out that it was probably because he was using performance-enhancing drugs, which he got busted for the second time. Now, he's going to miss at least the full season without pay, uh, assuming that the season's 162 games. If it's any shorter, obviously those games will carry over into the next season. The Mets make the postseason in 2021. Robinson Cano won't be playing it. So he's basically paid the price for what he's done. But what do you want from Robinson Cano? He went out there, he had a 900-plus OPS, which, by the way, was much better than Francisco Lindor offensively last year. And I'm not comparing. Lindor is entering his prime. We know Cano is past his prime. But once again, if you listen to this Mets narrative, you're not supposed to like Robinson Cano. And how can you not like Francisco Lindor? One of the best players in baseball. It would be obviously advantageous for the New York Mets to sign him to a long-term extension, keep him a Met for life. But does that by itself put the Mets as favorites in the National League East? And the answer is no. Trevor May has had a good couple years as a reliever with the Minnesota Twins. He makes the Mets bullpen better, but we know relievers are fickle. They're up and down. Edwin Diaz looked good last year. Is it guarantee he'll look good this year? And outside of Diaz and May and Seth Lugo, where is the depth in that bullpen? Dallin Batances was a great signing when he was signed. Didn't seem to have much left last year. He's coming back probably because he, he wasn't going to be able to get a better contract. So he opts into the second year of his of his contract. And the only reason, the only way that Dallin Batances will be back in 2022 is if he has just as bad of a season as he had in 2020. So I'm not loving him at bullpen. You're watching players go left and right and sign with different teams. And I know there are some free agents out there that if you wanted to make another splash, if you wanted to add another reliever to solidify that bullpen, there's Trevor Rosenthal, there's 
pitchers of that echelon that are in there that you could go out there and sign and make your bullpen even better. But the problem I have is right now, the Mets are not better than a third or fourth place team in the National League East. And that bothers me because they inherited an owner that's worth more than any owner in all of professional sports in a year that every team in Major League Baseball lost money. The Mets don't have to report it as a loss because the owner came in after basically the Wilpons inherited the you know everything that happened with the coronavirus and the shortened 2020 season. So Steve Cohen comes in there, buys the Mets after he has an advantage over every other owner in baseball. And I'm watching other teams get better. You know, I'm watching the Blue Jays get better. Now the Blue Jays don't compete with the Mets. Of course, they don't play in the same division. But it doesn't look like they have any financial issues in regards to bringing in the players that they need to. Dodgers just won the World Series. Have the best rotation in baseball, which, by the way, adds David Price back for the 2021 season. And they don't have an issue with bringing in Trevor Bauer for $40 million. <clears throat> Am I bothered specifically by Trevor Bauer choosing the Dodgers over the Mets? I think it comes down to... You know, when you're a kid in high school and you're, you're, you have an interest in a beautiful girl that's in your class and you can think of all the good things that could happen if she were to be interested in you. But over time, you start to come to grips with the fact that she's just not into you. And why would you want to like and want and be with somebody that doesn't want to be with you? And, and that's the best way I can describe Trevor Bauer and the Mets. He, he didn't want to play for the Mets. So why am I going to go crazy thinking about what the Mets rotation would look like if Trevor Bauer was there for a pitcher that really had no interest with being with the Mets anyway? The other aspect of this is if you look at what the Mets did after George Springer signed with the Toronto Blue Jays, they didn't really seem to have a good plan B. And that kind of bothers me. And I'm wondering, and we're only talking about 12 hours since Bauer decided to sign with the Dodgers instead of the Mets. So I'm, I'm thinking about, do the Mets have a plan B? Are they not looking to add a starting pitcher because they didn't get Trevor Bauer? Are they reasonably going to try to tell you that they're not going to get a center fielder because George Springer signed with the Toronto Blue Jays? Are you going to try to tell me that Brandon Nimmo is the best option defensively in center field when you're preaching defense? I, I don't I'm concerned in regards to what the next the Mets next move is. Are they gonna pivot to a trade? I mentioned a couple weeks ago Kyle Lewis, Kyle Seeger from Seattle would be interesting. Byron Buxton from Minnesota is gonna cost you a lot from a prospect standpoint. But I think about the the possibilities. There's still a ton of things that the Mets can do before spring training starts. But by the way, it's February and it's getting close doesn't look like MLB is delaying the start of this season unless something crazy happens in the next couple weeks. So season is about to start. Mets are running out of time. And I think another couple days, another week goes by, and you see the Mets hold over the same roster, you're going to get the impression that this is what the Mets are going to go to battle with in the 2021 season. Now, you can be excited about Francisco Lindor. You can be excited about Carlos Carrasco. You can even be excited about Trevor May. But once again, if you're if you're a she, uh, if you're a sheep, if you're basically here to follow the herd, 
you're going to be told that James McCann is the next Johnny Batch. And he's not. I, I don't think he, I think from a defensive standpoint, he may give you a little more than Wilson Ramos. But I don't think he's going to be able to give you anything more offensively than you could have expected to get from Ramos. And by the way, you got from Wilson Ramos in the 2019 season. So I don't think the Mets are extremely upgraded at the catcher position. Are they extremely upgraded at shortstop? Yes. Now, once again, Francisco Lindor is coming off of a down season. I, I would I would like to see him reach the level that he has been over the last five seasons as opposed to what he was offensively last year. Now, you can make an excuse. It's all right. The 2020 truncated season was not good for anybody. You give him a full season. You give him a fresh start in the city of New York where you know the fans want him where you know the ownership in the front office wants them to be there long-term. I think you can get the best out of Francisco Lindor in 2021, but he's not enough to single-handedly take that team to the promise line. And the Mets, from their rotation, they got the best pitcher in baseball, Jacob DeGrom. They got a motivated Marcus Stroman. They got uh, Carlos Carrasco as a number three. I don't really know what the Mets have after that. You know, Noah Syndergaard at some point is going to come back from Tommy John surgery. David Peterson was a rookie last year. He's been one of the Mets' better prospects. Maybe he inserts himself as a staple. I think the Mets got to add another starting pitcher. Is it Jake Odorisi? Is it James Paxton? Is it Jake Arrieta? I don't know if I really want Jake Arrieta. And I don't care about any of the quotes that he makes. I don't care about his personality that may not fit in with you know, the way certain Mets fans want their players to speak and talk. I'm concerned that Jake Arrieta has lost a lot. He's not the same pitcher he was, even when he hit free agency and signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. So I don't know if that's convincing me that the Mets have a stellar rotation if you had Jake Arrieta. James Paxton, he's probably not going to pitch a full season. Now, you think he's going to throw a bunch of bullets and be great the time he's out there, I'm not in love with James Paxton either. Odorisi, I think, is a safe pick. But once again, you're talking about a pitcher that's been kind of a three starter, maybe at his best a two starter, but it goes into the Mets rotation. And I don't know. I'm not expecting much more than a, a Pete Harnish or a Steve Traxel or um, you know something like that. Maybe even an Orlando Hernandez regular season Mets 2000, was it 2007, 2008? I'm not expecting much. I'm not expecting somebody to go out there and compete for the Cy Young. And the question that I have is, are the Mets done at this point? Are they content with the position that they're at? Because if they are, this is a very disappointing offseason. And I'm not saying Francisco Lindor is disappointing. I'm not saying that Carlos Carrasco, Trevor May is disappointing. You know how I feel about the James McCann signing. I'm like, Ugh, you know, Ugh. kind of, you know, kind of ambivalent about it. I hope he plays well. I look at what he did in five years as a starting catcher for the Detroit Tigers on a team that was going nowhere. He was a below average major league catcher. Yes, he's improved over the last couple of years. Had an all-star season with the White Sox two years ago. And a season that was so good that the White Sox went out there and got the best catcher that was a free agent in Yasmani Grandal and made James McCann into a backup. Do I think that the Mets are winning a World Series because of James McCann? No. The Mets need to 
great center field and an infielder, whether it's a second baseman or a third baseman. And, you know, it might be too much to ask for to ask for a starting pitcher and a reliever. But I think if the Mets do that, then all of a sudden you're starting to think they have the makes of a team that could compete with the likes of the Braves and the Nationals and the National League East. And I look at the Phillies, and I think the Phillies are a little behind. Are the Mets better than the Phillies? I think I could give you that at the moment, even with Real Muto. Real Muto makes the Phillies better, absolutely. Phillies are a little weak in the starting rotation. I know they added Chase Anderson to go with Archie Bradley in the bullpen. They probably got a couple more minor moves that they're going to look to make. And, it, and maybe the Phillies can pass the Mets. I'm not saying that the, the Mets are leaps and bounds better than anybody in that division, and that includes the Miami Marlins. We'll see what ends up happening. Super Bowl 55 coming up tomorrow. Enjoy it. I hope you have you know whatever party set up. Maybe not too many people there, but you get to enjoy the game in front of your family and those that you love. And it, it really kind of has become a national holiday. Whether you like football or not, odds are you're going to be in front of that television watching CBS and listening to Tony Romo, hopefully not spazzing out. You got two teams in the Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Perhaps a passing of the guard. You're talking about Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, the quarterback of the Chiefs coming off of a Super Bowl victory last year. And Tom Brady, we know, the six-time Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Patriots, is going to play in his 10th Super Bowl. And, you know, listen, we're not talking about throwing information there that the average fan doesn't know. But I think the key to this game is going to be can the Tampa Bay defense, which has looked good in this postseason, it really has, uh, you know, very surprising from a standpoint where they weren't they, they weren't expected to dominate as a defense. And kind of like uh, you think of Bart, Bart Scott with the Jets when he had that rant that ended with can't wait when, you know, he says, hey, the defense wasn't respected enough. I think this Tampa Bay defense has not gotten a ton of respect. Obviously, their secondary has played well. You know, you hope some of the guys that have been out like a, a Wingfield and players like that are able to play in the Super Bowl. But, you know, you think, I think of Sean Murphy bunting. And obviously, you know, I, I've made it known that, you know, it sounds like the catcher of the Oakland Athletics is going to lay down a bunt. And maybe I'll just call him Sean Bunting or Sean Murphy to just so I don't have that baseball reference when we're talking about a defensive back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, the key is going to be this Buccaneer defense because what the Chiefs have proven time and time again is that when they need to, they have no problem going down the field and scoring. Mahomes has no issue finding Tyreek Hill open to burst and kind of go off for an 80-yard touchdown run. He has no problem that if you're going to cover the receivers for the Chiefs, he's going to find Travis Kelsey open somewhere over the middle. And you know what? If all else fails, he's going to dump the ball out to Edwards Alaire or Le'Veon Bell or Williams. And he's got he's got a running back that's going to be wide open for you know a, a significant run. So if you're in the Tampa Bay defense, there's a lot of different things you're trying to control. Number one, it's the quarterback because you know he can run a little bit. But also his ability to, you know, throw the ball downfield for a big play. Not just with Tyreek Hill, but but Hardman. You know, you think of Robinson. You know, they are there are legitimate star athlete receivers that can run in bursts of speed at any time. 
can break a five-yard pass into an 80-yard pass anytime or can run a fly pattern and outrun a secondary in a heartbeat. And you know Mahomes has the arm to be able to, to throw it deep. So if you, you're able to contain Mahomes running, you're able to contain the deep ball, you got to worry about Kelsey, who really is going to hurt you in the middle of the field. And, you know, if you're going to cover the receivers deep, Travis Kelsey is going to find a place over the middle where he's going to be wide open. And, you know, you may say, hey, that's going to dink and dunk you, but you know, you're going to look at 8 to 10 or 10 to 12-yard passes, and the next thing you know, you're in scoring range. You're able to stop that. Can you stop a, an occasional running game? Because they're going to they're gonna run the ball at you, and all of a sudden you're going to look and you're going to see a Edwards Alaire that's going to have, you know, 80 to 100 yards rushing because you're not paying attention to the running game. So I think there's a lot on the plate for the Tampa Bay defense, and that's going to be the absolute key to the game. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, Tampa Bay's got to keep that from scoring at all. At some point, the Chiefs are going to burn you. But I want to know that the Tampa Bay defense can stop the Kansas City offense. Because I think at some point, the Kansas City defense is going to stop the Tampa Bay offense. I don't think Tom Brady is going to beat Patrick Mahomes in a slugfest going up and down the field. This isn't going to be a 48-45 to 45 game where it's going to be score after score after score after score after score. I think if it's an offensive shootout, overall, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win because I think at some point the Kansas City defense is going to be able to stop the Tampa Bay offense. Whether it's Brady making a mistake, whether it's Brady maybe taking a hit, whether it's somebody dropping a ball, let's say an Antonio Brown or a Gronk or a Mike Evans in a big spot. At, at some point, you're going to see Tampa Bay move down the field and stop and have to punt. Like I said, the question for me is, can Tampa Bay's defense stop Kansas City's offense? As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show, brought to you, of course, by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church of School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion, food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And if you are planning your Super Bowl party, um, you should check out Two Ways, One Passion, food truck. Um, going to pull up something here, and of course... You know, there's going to be a delay because I've said before, what have I said? I can't do more than one thing at one time. So they got some specials going on. If you're trying to plan your Super Bowl party, you could get 10 empanadas. You could get 20 empanadas. You could get a, a guac and trip, uh, guac and chips, a, you know, a couple of different size orders there. Nachos they'll do for you. You could do quesadillas, taco. You got have a taco feast. Um, numbers 570-800-8115, and that's two ways, one passion, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Any of the orders that are placed will have to be picked up. You can pick them up Saturday or Sunday. Karen and Jenny will have your food ready um, in a matter of moments. Once again, 570-800-8115. That's two ways, one passion in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So was looking at the start that the Utah Jazz are off to in the National Basketball Association. And they got the top record right now in the Eastern Conference, just a game lead over the Los Angeles Lakers. And it, when it's looked at right now, I don't think anybody is looking at the Utah Jazz as a favorite to knock off the Lakers. In fact, when we're thinking about the NBA right now, and you're thinking of the Western Conference stalwarts, 
you're thinking of the Lakers and the Clippers and maybe a little Denver Nuggets, maybe a little love for the Phoenix Suns. And maybe somebody believes in the Golden State Warriors, the team with Steph Curry, healthy all season. Maybe get some of those younger players playing. Maybe there's a miracle come playoff time and Klay Thompson comes in there like a Willis Reed and all of a sudden the Warriors are back to that level. I don't know. I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm buying that the Warriors can make the playoffs. I do think the bottom part of the Western Conference is a little bit weaker than it's been in past seasons. And there is a lot of disappointment. You know, Houston's not the same. New Orleans, who a lot of people expect with Zion to kind of take their game to the next level and all of a sudden be a legitimate uh, contender. I don't know if they're really ready yet. Dallas is disappointed. Oklahoma City, you know, as, as great as uh, Gages Alexander looks for them, they, they're, not, they're not ready yet. Memphis with John Morant. Sacramento, Portland, all teams with a lot of potential, but you're seeing moments where they're underachieving to this point. So if you're Golden State, you certainly can uh, make your case, get back into the playoffs, not be a, a bad team like they were last year, and see what you end up having. I don't think anybody's going to get past the Lakers. And the reason that I bring this up, because you look at the Utah Jazz, and they're 18-5 and five right now. They got a solid team. There's no question about it. This was a team that was expected to be good this year. So they're not doing anything with, uh, with you know, in mirrors or anything. You know, Donovan Mitchell has asserted himself as the best player on that team. But what stands out is they got six players that average in double figures in scoring each game. And Royce O'Neal averages eight points a game. That's their seventh player. So you're thinking, you know, they got a rotation of seven players that could all score. And, you know, Mike Connolly, you know, Jordan Clarkson, who I like, you know, from the, from the Cavaliers, he comes off the bench and, he, you know, he ends up providing some firepower for them. This is a team that I think is deep enough to put a little bit of a scare into, whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers, but I don't think it's going to be strong enough to overtake them. And that's why I think when you go back, you know, you think of the Houston Rockets as they were probably the best team in a regular season over the past couple seasons. Last year with uh, Westbrook joining forces with James Harden. You know they were going to score a ton of points. Mike D'Antoni running that offense. They're, they were going to score, uh, you know, buck 25 each game, but they were going to give up a buck 25 too. So you didn't know how many games they were going to win or lose, but it was like a Peyton Manning-led team, you know, with the Colts. They were going to have a great regular season. They were going to be in a great place when it came to the postseason start. And a couple times you look and the Rockets got the number one seed or the number two seed. I see the same thing happening with the Utah Jazz. But my question is going to be this. You know, is this a deep enough team to be able to pull off an upset? And even if they have the number one seed, if they beat the Clippers in a series, if they beat the Lakers in a series in a postseason, I think it will be considered an upset. But I like the way they built this team. And if you look at that roster, and one of the things that has bothered me is, is you've seen this game kind of go from, you know, LeBron James with uh, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade as a three-man game down to mostly duos. And that's why you saw what happened with the Brooklyn Nets and them added James Harden to go with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that it seems like it's a bit much in a game today. 
But what you're seeing is a lack of depth throughout the National Basketball Association. And one thing the Jazz have that a lot of teams don't have is some scoring depth. And like I said, when you're talking about seven players and, you know, one of them in Jordan Clarkson that's averaging 17 points a game off the bench, you know, you, you have no – you get to a point where you're not as surprised that they're out there with an 18-5 and five record. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. Uh, thank you for listening to my rant about the Mets. Um, if you think about where the Mets are going to be this year, I think the next week or so is going to have a lot to do with where you could expect them to be. If the Mets are quiet and making really no noise – if they look and they say, hey, it's either Trevor Bauer or Bust, and they didn't get Trevor Bauer, so they don't want to add another starting pitcher now. Uh, if they wanted George Springer so bad and they end up not giving him the best offer, and now they still don't have a center fielder. How about third base? You're going out there with J.D. Davis as your starting third baseman in 2021? The bullpen. Yes, Trevor Mays there. Sugar Diaz looked good last year, but they didn't have much to play for. This was a team that was never really in the playoff contention. And, oh, by the way, there's a message message to all you Mets fans. I think the Mets are going to be so good this year. They managed to finish eight games under 500 in 2020 in a 60-game season where Major League Baseball allowed 62% of its teams to make the postseason. 16 out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball made the postseason, and the Mets missed the playoffs. And you're talking about, yes, a big acquisition in Francisco Lindor. But is that enough to all of a sudden put them in the playoff mix when the Nationals have gotten better? The Phillies, well, I think they've held serve by bringing back JT Realmuda. The same thing with the Braves and Marzello Zuna. They added Charlie Morton. They added Drew Smiley. They feel like they're going to be able to give you a solid one through five in their rotation. Outside of Lindor, you could be happy with Carrasco. You could be happy with Strowman. You could be happy with Trevor May. Is this enough to make up eight games under 500 in 2020? Remains to be seen. But I do believe they have some work to do. For those that say the Mets are going to be fine like they are, you're going to be in for a very big disappointment. The key to Super Bowl 55 is going to be whether the Tampa Bay defense can stop the Kansas City offense. And how about a little love for the Utah Jazz? Best record in the Western Conference and the National Basketball Association. Shout out to my boy, Joy Casey, out in Las Vegas. I know he's a big uh, Jazz fan. And I like the depth here. I like the fact that they got seven players that are averaging in double figures and scoring. I think they, you're talking about a league that is being um, kind of – contingent on one or two star players and I like that they could spread the ball around and they don't really depend on any one guy to score you know Donovan Mitchell Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench Mike Conley all all can take big shots you know Bogdanovich you can trust him in a big spot I think the Jazz are are on a pace to be one of the top teams in the Western Conference the question is going to be can they beat a Clipper team that and, you know, led by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Can they beat the Lakers, who seem to be better than everybody with LeBron James? And, you know, it looks like it's the team has gotten better after winning the NBA championship last year. Once again, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. You could always catch the PBS on YouTube. You could also find the Passball Show on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Music. 
We'll be back with you next week. Hopefully you enjoy your Super Bowl, enjoy your week. You can also hit me up on Twitter, any, anything that's on your mind, at John underscore Pielli. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.